Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. It's a Faith of Family Friday, and I am thrilled to have my wife, Carrie, back in the house. I have always been here, Tom. Always in the house. You always have been with me. Well, back in the studio. Yes. Yes. Carrie is with me today. And uh, you're going to be with me towards, well, for two-thirds of the program. In the last part of the program, I have a special interview with Dr. Ryan Anderson from the Ethics and Policy Center in Washington, D.C. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Hey, welcome back to the program. We are going to begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, we love you, thank you, and praise you for who you are, for all that you've done for us. Lord, we ask that you would give us grace and mercy. We ask that you would bless this conversation, bless all couples and families, Lord, as they continue to walk a path of faith in their own family lives and their marriages, Lord, bless them. Lord, I just pray that this would be an encouragement to them. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Carrie, it is, I'm really happy to have you back. I'm glad to be back. Are you really? Yes. That's nice. Wait, do you not know that I am? Well, it's nice to hear it. It's nice to hear it out loud. Just, um, I know that you've struggled a bit, but um, we're not here to talk about the struggle. We're here to talk about the gift. <laughs> I needed to say no so I could say yes. Ah, that, where did you learn that I principle? don't know. Freedom from gives freedom for. No, yeah. I, you actually bring up a really important point. Sometimes people are not free to say yes until they have the space or capacity to be able to say no. Because what happens if they... Uh, are asked to say yes, and they don't actually have an existential sense of space to say no. They feel trapped. Yeah. I was feeling very trapped. They feel forced. I was actually like, I am not going to do the radio all summer. You and I are not going to be doing this. So it was great. I felt very free (laughs) and a little rebellion, a little rebellious. Nice. I'm glad that you're owning that part of it. I I don't know. I Well, whatever the case, I, 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 I went all in. I was like... You just got to do what God wants you to do. <laughs> that didn't work. Uh, now I made it a divine trap. Uh, that wasn't very helpful. Uh, let's just Wasn't say, helpful? no, I, during my day, don't always do what God wants me to do. So this was just another <laughs> another opportunity to not do what he wants me to do. So that's the difference. I'm not saying that God wanted me to be on the show with you. I'm just saying I needed a break. And we had eight kids home and a new summer, and I just felt many pressures. And this was just one where I said, you know, I've been doing this for so many years. I think I'm really do a space away from it so that I can feel renewed and um, refreshed and not maybe take it for granted and be more um, ready for whatever 
that platform allows for. So it was actually really a blessing and did set me free. And I did, I do feel grateful to be here with you, helping you, serving you. It's all about you, Tom. So whatever you need from me, Finally, I'm here. Yeah, 29 years. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Yes. 29 years married. Can you believe that? No. Really? Nope. Nope. No. Uh, yeah, no. I, Tom, I feel like time changes every five years. It, And then it takes time to think about time to kind of capture how does it feel. And then it's funny, I measure time by looking at my, when I was 20, how I thought about people that are my age now. And then I think, how did I think about my like aunts and uncles who are gray haired and older? And then I feel like now we are those aunts and uncles that are gray haired and older. And it's so odd because when you're younger, it just, you can't, capture time in the same way. And now I feel like when they say oh, it goes faster as you get older, things because you can look back and reflect forward or something like that. Well, I, I think I'm at that stage where I'm still dying to the idea that I, I'm unable to look young. <laughs> I've not given up. You haven't given I'm up? I've not given up. But you, when you talk about those different stages, that's kind of what flashed in my head was I can be talking to people who are 15 years younger than I am, and I think I look like them. They don't think I look like them. And they think that I'm not even, yeah, that's not in range anymore. So I think that that's a, that's a, I don't know, I don't know what that is. If it's just coming to be reconciled with this, again, journey of life that has ages and stages. And let it be okay, right? That that God has you where He, um, well, God has you where He, well, God's going to walk with you in every stage of your life, and to be able to let go of a previous stage and not try to cling on to it. Yes, I think I'm more concerned about my physical um, ab- abilities versus my physical looks. So, can I run, or do I get tired, or what is my need for sleep or rest? How quickly does it take to recover from like a bruise? For some reason, I keep hitting my arm or elbow um, in door frames, on doorways, on the door frame. And it's odd, but it hurts. And then just weeding a bunch of, a little while back, just the basic physical uh, aches and pains, that is more of a bother than, you know, getting gray hair. You know, we are actually speaking to a, a- the most dominant demographic of Sacred Heart Radio. It's the baby boomers. And I, <laughs> it's only just begun. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I'm at the tail end of the tail end of the baby boomers, right? They'll say 1964 is the the last state of baby mm-hmm. boomers. So I'm in that category, dear. Are you considered a millennial? What are you considered? I don't know. Generation whatever? Yeah. Gen I, X? I just don't. <clears throat> I, I'm not confined to any box. Nice. I love that I have older siblings because they kind of warn me of what's coming. They don't do it in a warning way. I just take it as a warning. Oh, if that's what she's feeling right now and she's seven years older, I better not take for granted what I'm not feeling right now. Mm -hmm. But sure enough, as I've walked the last two decades, 10 years later, I'm feeling or experiencing what they were complaining about seven, 10 years prior. So it's good. It's helpful. I know that one of the things that I have clearly shifted to is the idea that I want my kids to, it's not really surpass me. I'm not focused on my own, if the word success or 
victory, but my kids. I want my kids to shine much more than I want to shine myself. Uh, has that always been when you have kids? I think that's a thing of parents is that we want them to... I think there was a stage where I was like, I can still beat my kids. Oh, you're talking... That's all gone. In sports? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I was thinking of just life in general, that you want them to succeed oh, and do well, like yeah. academically or spiritually. Or It is amazing when our kids outshine us in spiritual, not physical things, of course, but spiritual things, or when they're able to be more selfless. It's not hard for them to beat me. <laughs> when they're able to be more holy or more articulate or intelligent or they can do things better than me. And it's only going to increase because now they're all getting older and they're all getting stronger and better. And I'm decreasing. I'm becoming more forgetful, (laughs) more disorganized, more afraid at the edges. I I feel like my gifting is like I've already peaked. (laughs) It's starting to go down and decline. Because you do hit your like highest earning. Well, regarding earning, isn't your highest earning years like in your 50s? Like your so. mid fifties to your just upper fifties or something, um, but I'm not talking earning power. I'm just talking in general functioning. <laughs> My kids are definitely catching up to me or have passed me, and I tell them that happily. You like I'll say, you guys need to remember this. I can't remember these things, or I really rely on you to help me with. We were doing some gardening this morning, uh, putting we were dividing hostas. We have like forty hostas in our garden and they're so big and I've never divided them and they all need to be divided. So now I'm finding places to put them outside of our yard. So if you need hostas, let us know. (laughs) So we were um, putting about 40 in the schoolyard at a school and I said, I need your guys' strength. I need you to help me dig these holes. I need your energy and your like organization. And you just, know, you're talking to our 11 year old and our 13. I know they're better. 14 year old. (laughs) They're stronger than me. Right. (laughs) I need you to carry these plants. No, so it's just interesting that my kids, or you get to a point where your kids are surpassing you and intelligence or and an ability or and, and athletics or, you know, and intellect um, or spiritually. It's it's actually exciting. It's, I don't feel competitive with my kids, of course, but um, it is interesting to stand back and watch that happen and how you receive that and celebrate that and encourage them forward. I, I like what you said because I haven't gotten to that point really around the idea of formation spiritually or intellectually or career-wise. I still feel very much in the position of father, like leader, mentor, um, the one who has to train and form. There have been a couple of moments where I felt like um, our oldest, you know, Mary Grace or John Mark, those two in particular, expressed a degree of spiritual maturity about something that was challenging to me or was encouraging me. And it was like, wow, I'm being led right now. Like I remember when Mary Grace came in, it might have been like when she was visiting for a holiday or when she when she first came back in the summer. Um, she's She chastised us for the amount of time and the number of screens that were active in the house, the amount of time that we were on screens and that kids were on screens and we were permitting it. I think she encourages us to eat healthy too. She also will say, "How do you or how or yeah, get that's true. exercise or be outdoors more?" So there is a way in which she is um, leading in those areas that are not our natural go-to, which is great. 
Um, I, I hope that you intellectually are, are stronger than them because you do carry a lot. And spiritually, you carry a lot. Um, so that would be interesting to start seeing them like outsmart you. Well, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. And they, I hope, are learning pieces of information, like correct. Uh, they're being correctly taught. And they're going to bring home information that I was never taught or I was taught and I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I don't mind that. I smile at that. I'm like happy. Like, wow, I I never learned that or I never read that or I never taught that. That's all cool. But wisdom is a different thing. I definitely feel like I have more wisdom than my kiddos. And I do pass that on when when they ask uh, serious questions. Um, So that for sure is more insight understanding social and uh, relational dynamics a lot better. So that's good. I guess it's just the little brain things that are not as strong. So Carrie, you mentioned something in passing that was really a prominent feature of the current home this summer. And that was that eight of our nine kids were here. And there was a, a degree of planfulness or purposefulness to that where we did encourage and support our oldest daughter to come home and live here and have a job in the area. The other kids were just in college or coming back from their uh, missionary trip. So, but there was a sense of finality to it. Like this is the last summer when, do you remember that? Yes. I'm remembering it's coming back to me. (laughs) Does it feel just like a hundred miles away? Uh, No. So I laid out a huge calendar and I wrote uh, 2023 Unforgettable Summer or Summer of 2023 Unforgettable in wanting the kids to really make memories and feel like um, this could be the last time that we all live under one roof. I think for the boys leaving early, that really caught me off guard because there's a sense of boys leaving the home and cleaving to his wife <laughs> that they would one day could live somewhere else, especially if they're going to school in Ohio. And um, that was really sad because for me, it was premature. They left sooner than I had planned for. And also, sure, and they both could, of them. It was two of them, not and just both one. Of them. And sure, they could come home and work in the summer. But this might be the last time where they're really under our um, direct guidance. And this is like the last time that... like the longest time they won't live here, I guess. They might just come back for little summers and that's it, but they'll be off and living somewhere else someday. So that was kind of sad. I don't like to think about it because it's not that we don't want them to move forward and and travel and experience life and have new uh, experiences and new relationships. It's just the old current home of everyone's under one roof and we all gathered at the top of the stairs in our house in Federal Way and did night prayer and took three hours to get kids to bed. (laughs) I miss those years. I don't miss those years. I miss those years. I miss that simplicity and closeness. And during that time, parents don't realize how it's fleeting or you're going to enter another stage where they're just no longer under your roof. And it almost makes me worry more for them in some respects. Like I didn't, there's a lot of evenings I've had regret where did I do this well enough? Did I teach them that? Did I teach this well enough? Did I show them how to do that well enough? Or I just didn't, (laughs) there's so much 
There's so many things we just don't get to, I guess. So there's a total surrender in as parents where a lot of that I entrust to the Lord and also realize, of course, we can't do everything, but Lord, no, you you take them, you show them, you guide them. And now that they're at school with their siblings, there's a lot of um, siblings help each other a lot and grow and, and fill in where parents just can't be there because we can't do it all. Yeah. Uh, great reflections, Carrie. We're up against a break. When we come back, we want to continue on. I want to share a little bit more about that and um, provide some guiding points like for some parents because we did do a couple of things out of step, but there was a reason for it. There was an intentionality, even though it was a surprising one and not an easy one. We'll tell you about that in a minute. Hey, welcome back to the program. This is uh, Tom and Carrie Curran, dear. So you were mentioning the like the special nature of this summer, and, and this summer did have a, a number of beautiful memories to it. But I want to pick up on the the point that you just were describing, which is the the shift. Because we went from a home where we were anticipating a majority of our kids still in our house, five at home, four out of the home, which was our last year situation. And we thought, oh, this will continue, and then it'll go four in the home and five out of the home, and then it'll be eventually three. Well, we woke up one day, and it's only three at home and six out of the home. And so that was because our senior and junior boys, our only two boys, are now at Franciscan University. And we created a record, the Currens did. We did? Yes, we did. That we're the first and only family to ever have three incoming freshmen in the same year. Great. Yeah. They said they've had four from a family. That should count for something. I know. Can we just get like one tuition wiped out? <laughs> so <laughs> we... Uh, so we have three incoming freshmen and that emerged in a, again, a bit of a surprising way, but in the end we ended up discerning that this was the right thing to do. So why don't you, I, I've talked a bit about this in bits and pieces in the last few weeks, including mentioning my accompanying three of them, uh, to freshman orientation, but why don't you talk a bit about it? Like, how did this unfold in in your mind as like a real possibility that we could send not just Ariana coming back from the world race, but our rising senior a year early and our rising junior two years early to college? Well, Tom, it all started back. <laughs> you know, in April, I went to visit Mary Catherine and I was so excited to be with her on campus at Franciscan and see her uh, spiritual growth and all the girls that she's involved with in her household. And I left that space thinking John Mark would be so excited to be here. He would flourish. He would grow. He would thrive. And I started reflecting on his uh, lack of uh, fellowship, even uh, friends. He has great friends, but lack of Catholic friends. And I thought, I wonder if he could come visit her. And then some things happened where he really did not want to go back to high school and there wasn't really an option. So then I said, Tom, maybe he could go to Franciscan a year early. That's what I did. I wonder if he has enough credits. Maybe he needs to take a couple of summer classes. I'm sure he's close to being able to go to college. Do you really need four years in high school? He's not missing anything. What are we waiting for? 
he has peaked. There's a there's a point where you peak in your family's home. And I think some kids peak around 16 or 17 where you're, you know, I give the same comments and lectures because my kids give them back to me. And I think, wow, <laughs> at least you'll listen to me. But when they're starting to give me my lectures when they're only 12 and 13, I think, oh, you're going to have a long four years under my roof. <laughs> I need to get better material. But um. And then they kind of peak in their friendships and, and work, and they don't really take the next step when it, regarding responsibility, whether it's a job or how to, to cook, how to clean, how to take care of your room, how to um, manage your time, how to grow in your friendships. And I just felt like the both of them, but specifically John Mark, would do so much better, would grow so much more out of the home. And... I think that's what we all desire is our kids, you want that separation where they can go into another environment that's healthy, that's flourishing, that's exciting, that's good, not a bad environment, a good environment. And they can find out who they are because apart from the home and all, especially in bigger families, the siblings speak so much into who you are and your identity is so wrapped up in all these personalities, you really need to take a break or you need to get away and kind of find who am I apart from being you know, a, a current, or I did this when I was a De Lorenzo. And um, I really wanted him to have that experience sooner than later. He was, he was ready for it. So praise God, they said, hey, he has enough credits. He doesn't even need to go to summer school. We'll take him. And I thought, wait, what? <laughs> so, so then I started thinking his brother, John Luke, how many credits does he need? Let's, so I went to Sign him up at the high school here. I went over to the community college to sign him up for college. Can you do dual enrollment? I'm like, how many credits? What can you do online? I'm like, John Luke, you should just go with your brother. You do not need to stay here any longer. You are ready for college. If John Mark is, you are. And um, and we'd seen enough of their growth to to trust that this is going to be a much better option for them, and they would really just um, soar. And so the long and the short of two months of talking to and, and, and trying to figure out uh, credits and transcripts and all that, they allowed him to come early and for, for different reasons. And so we, we floated that to him and kind of took about two or three weeks just talking it through with uh, his siblings, with his older sisters who were in college, his um, freshman, or Ariana, who had just gotten back from the mission year. And I think just more and more excitement and, and energy and enthusiasm where I don't need to go back to high school. I can go off into college. <laughs> I don't have to like do two more years of high school and just not that it would, not that it was a bad option, but this was such a better option for him. And being around a ton of Catholic kids and his brother and his sisters. Uh, so praise God, it just worked out. And, but you know, we were so caught up in the planning of it all that the emotional um, tearing apart when Tom, when you took them, it was just like, uh, I came downstairs and like every bedroom was empty. (laughs) Sorry, I'm going to cry. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, they're all gone. (laughs) It was so sad, (laughs) but sorry. I was so happy for them. Um, I love college. I really had an amazing time when I went away to Franciscan and, I never got to go with my siblings, so just the fact that they're all there together, <laughs> I can do this, um, it's just so cool. And the fact that I, I guess, you know, having had been there a couple of times this past year and talking to several families that are there, it just really encouraged both of us to, to be able to do this. And 
So far, it's been great. I just last night said to my husband, I said, I haven't heard from John, Mark, or John Luke. We just, I, I said, we have to do a Zoom meeting every Sunday night. We all need to, whether it's Anne-Marie in Boston or Mary Grace in Oregon or the kids at, in Ohio, we all need to connect. And the younger kids need to see their siblings. There needs to be a sense of togetherness because we came from such a powerful summer being together. And um, so we had one little Zoom meeting, which was really funny, but... I was like, I haven't actually taught to John Mark or John Luke because they were talking to you more, which seems odd. So then within three minutes, John Mark calls me. And this is... 11.45 at night, his time. His time, yeah. And so um, anyhow, it was just a, a comical conversation. I thought, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is what you're asking us. He wanted to know, he wanted to get permission from Dad, Tom, to um, have a cigarette at a party this weekend. He's like, I just... And not inhale. He just wanted to have <laughs> I just it. don't have a cigarette. You don't understand. We all go out and back and everyone stands in a circle and we smoke a cigarette and talk. And I go, well, just, you can just stand there without a cigarette. He's like, no, no, it's not the same. And he and I are going back and forth. And then he's like, can I have one drink? I just want one drink. I'm like, you're not even of age. He goes, I know, but we drank and at, at home. And he and says, we everyone having, drinks. And yeah, and we, <laughs> we had cigars to sip at home. Summer. And, yeah. I was like, I don't know. I and I was like, yeah, uh, I'm just really not taking a strong stand. And Tom was like, absolutely not. You are not going to smoke a cigarette. You are not going to be drinking this. You have four years ahead of you. However, I did send them, I don't know if you knew this, last night after we got off the phone, I sent them candy cigarettes on Amazon. So oh, they can stand in the circle with a candy cigarette and pretend to be smoking. <laughs> I had to. It was just, it was a perfect setup. That was funny. And they can uh, share them with all the friends that don't, aren't legal. Anyhow, um, it was really cute to have them call, and that, which led to a bigger conversation, of course, regarding at what age do you allow your kids to do that. Um, but I was just happy he called and asked permission. I don't, I don't think I would have called my parents <laughs> to get permission. So. Well, I think that um, what you shared is very beautiful and is definitely connected with the um, reality of shifting in our parenting from living in our home to living outside our home. And thanks be to God that, you know, our, our kids are still engaging with us around that conversation. Well, honey, this is all we have time for today. I, I have an interview that I'm going to shift to next with uh, Dr. Ryan Anderson. He is going to be speaking in Spokane next week for a gala for an amazing organization called Path of Life. I have the privilege of being the MC of the gala. I was the MC last year and had an amazing time at this event because they are on the forefront of helping families, really helping families and families that face a variety of crises connected to uh, unexpected, unwanted pregnancy, to um, healing after uh, abortion, to unwanted same-sex attraction, dealing with transgender, sexual identity issues. And uh, Ryan Anderson, Dr. Ryan Anderson, he um, is of the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C. He's very articulate. And I think after you hear this interview, you're going to want to come and hear what he has to say next week. Uh, in uh, next, it's uh, Actually, next Thursday, the 14th. Thursday, the 14th in Spokane. And uh, I'm going to be telling you how you can get tickets for that gala uh, after the break. So, Carrie, thank you for being with me today on this Faith and Family. We're going to shift to another dimension of Faith and Family, and we'll be doing that 
in a moment on Sound Inside. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's always a joy to be with you all. On this Faith and Family Friday, uh, I decided to include this uh, important interview with Dr. Ryan Anderson. He's a Catholic theologian or philosopher who has done extensive study on the concept of culture and has written uh, or co-authored five different books. And and, uh, you'll hear a little bit about that. His most recent one is about how abortion has torn us apart and tears us apart and uh, and but he's also written a book about the transgender movement, about the protection of marriage rooted in natural law, rooted in common sense, as well as in in our light of faith. So he brings a very rich insight to the table with his own Catholic formation. And uh, I I really was struck by the, the the time that I had to interview him. Now again, um, the. The reason why I got to interview him is that he's going to be in Spokane. He's going to be speaking at an event happening at Fourth Memorial Church in Spokane, downtown Spokane, for Path of Life, uh, the organization I just mentioned before the break, their annual gala. It's next Thursday, the 14th. It starts at 5.30 in the evening with hors d'oeuvres. Last year, they were amazing. And then the program starts at 6.30, where you'll learn more about the, the great mission of Path of Life. And then uh, he'll come and give a talk, and they have a, um, an auction, auction items that they give. And, and, and it is a fundraising event. It, it supports their ministry. And boy, I got to tell you, you know, there are some ministries that are willing to be on the front lines and tackle the issues of our day. This is one of them. And that's why I was just so happy to be the MC and invited back to be the MC. So let's dive into the interview with uh, uh, with Dr. Ryan Anderson. And, and then I will tell you, go to pathoflifespokane.org. Well, I want to welcome to the program Dr. Ryan Anderson. He is the president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center, which is Shaping Policy and Renewing Culture. Dr. Anderson, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, I'm thrilled to have you here. Uh, people talk on, on the radio right now to have this kind of audio interview. And then I'm going to get to meet you next week uh, at, at a wonderful event. In fact, uh, th- there might be a couple wonderful events happening in your life next week, not only coming out to Eastern Washington to speak at this amazing gala for Paths of Life, but there's a an emerging event happening in, in the Anderson household. What's going on? Yeah, that's right. I mean, hopefully um, both are not next week because uh, that that would create um, headaches for uh, the Path of Life event. But and for me, but um, uh, my wife is due September 24th and the Path of Life event is September 14th. Um, so it's only a 10 day gap there. And normally I wouldn't be uh, traveling like literally to the other side of the country. Um, but, you know, when when um, Sherry had invited me to be the speaker for the, you know, the annual dinner um, we did not know that my wife was pregnant because she was not pregnant. Um, like, you know, you, you plan these sorts of events, you know, a year ahead of time and the pregnancy is only nine months. And so then, um, when we found out that my wife was expecting and we went in for the first ultrasound and we got the due date, we're like, Oh, end of September, no big deal. And then when I realized, Oh, I should look at my calendar and see like what I've already committed to for. And I was like, all right, we have something right in the middle of September. And so my, you know, my wife and I, we talked about it, prayed about it. And we thought this is our fourth child. And the first three have all been either two days late, three days late, or four days late. 
And so we thought the odds of this one being 10 days early just seem very low. And then I'm taking like, you know, the earliest flight home, I think I leave at like five in the morning or something the day after, because, you know, for, for the days leading up to the pregnancy, um, you know, the, 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 the biggest challenge there isn't necessarily that, you know, my wife would be early with the delivery, but like we have three other little kids running around and she'll be, you know, 38 weeks, 39 weeks pregnant. And, you know, I can't be away for very long. So this is a very quick visit. I'm going to, you know, fly in, um, you know, when I arrive like that afternoon, you know, that evening we have the event and then I leave the next morning at like 5 a.m. And so it's um, door to door. I'm, I'm only gone for like 26 or 27 hours. It's a very, but you know, it takes a while to fly out there. So yes, but I'm does. excited. I'm excited. Uh, this will be fun. Well, it, it, there are, you'll be when you're here next week. It, it's really an amazing group of people, which is just a thrilling thing. Um, but you're talking about a child coming to birth, this great blessed event, this great expectation, this the sense of this is something that we're excited for. We're planning. We've got a sense of the calendar and all of that. That's actually quite at the heart of what you're all yeah. about at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. You're an author of and co-author of five books. And your latest one is on tearing us apart, how abortion harms everything and solves nothing. And, and that really gets at what the Ethics and Public Policy Center is all about. You want to re revive, renew, restore culture that's connected to our Judeo-Christian heritage, our deepest ideals. Talk about that. I think you could connect those two events sure. really in a beautiful way. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and, and I mean, so one way of thinking about this is that the American project, um, the West only works if it's um, founded on a foundation of um, both like the Judeo-Christian uh, biblical traditions, right? And the Jewish tradition and the Christian tradition. Um, I actually think it's better to, to refer to them as, you know, historically the phrase was the Judeo-Christian tradition singular, but I actually think like, you know, they're, they're really two traditions. And then within Christianity, there are multiple tr sub-traditions. Um, so I'll, I'll use traditions there, plural, but like it's that plus it's the natural law um, tradition. It, it's both Athens and it's Jerusalem. And, you know, that all kind of came together with the American founding, where we brought faith and reason, um, some enlightenment thought as well, Protestant political theology, the common law, the natural law. And what we've done in modern times is we've tried to keep um, the American political structures, but discard their intellectual and moral and metaphysical anthropological foundations. Um, and, and what we've discovered is that doesn't work. And, and I think the past 50 years are just evidence that that doesn't work. And so the think tank that I run in Washington, D.C. is really all about, you know, reminding the uh, political leaders here in our nation's capital, capital that this only, this project only works uh, if it's founded on true convictions about human nature, human dignity, human identity. And you can see where we've gone wrong with this. Um, we've gone wrong with this, with the identity, the nature, the dignity of the child in the womb. Uh, we've gone wrong with this, with the nature and the identity of what marriage is and how men and women are designed for each other in a conjugal union of marriage where children are then given the blessing of both a mother and a father. We've gone wrong with human nature and human identity and human dignity when it comes to all of the transgender issues, right? Where we now have little kids thinking they're trapped in the wrong bodies and having you know, puberty blocking drugs, cross-sex hormones, um, surgeries to, you know, fundamentally um, disfigure uh, their bodies. This is what happens um, when you no longer have that metaphysical, that moral, that anthropological foundation that gets 
human nature, human identity, human dignity, um, right. Um, and you know, and that's what, um, you know, that's what we're trying to do in DC. That's also what you guys are doing, right? I mean, so this is why, you know, when I looked at the speaking invitation, I was like, oh, do I really want to fly all the way out there? And then when we saw, oh, it's 10 days before, um, the due date, my wife and I decided like, yeah, this is worth going out for because like both organizations have a very similar, um, vision about what the truth is and why we need uh, the truth. You know, Dr. Anderson, I, I just I have so much I want to say. We have such a, a, a small amount of time, and I want to use it as well as, as we can. Thinking about what you just said there, there seems to be a work of like reconstruction, a rebuilding of the foundations for those who have the capacity to hear them. Where are you seeing elements of that happening in the younger generation who seem to be coming from a, an educational system where those foundations are not laid? So do you see signs of like, where are signs of hope? Where are signs of revival and 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 recovery for a generation yeah. that just doesn't have that uh, foundation? I'm, I'm, at least two things to say there. And, and one is that, you know, there's a sign of hope precisely in how bad things have gotten and that people are waking up to it. And, and you can see this in two ways. One is, um, I mean, I think the most heartbreaking, but also courageous stories you can hear and people that you can meet are some of the detransitioners. Right. And like it shows you this is how horrendous things have gotten that there are 17 and 18 year old girls walking around with scarred chests because they've had double mastectomies and now they regret it. Right. And, and so that is a sign of hope in the sense that it's not just them, but there's there's a broader coalition of people who now recognize the emperor has no clothes. Um, I wrote a book on the transgender phenomenon five years ago. And at the time, I was one of the only people speaking out. Um, now you have a whole host of people. Uh, and it's not just conservative Bible-believing Christians who are speaking out. You have radical feminists. Uh, you have people who are otherwise you know, pro-choice and abortion, but they, they, they get gender sanity, bodily sanity on, on the transgender issue. They don't quite get the bodily sanity on the, the child who's embodied in the womb. But, but we can make these strategic partnerships and what can start on this issue, I think, can prick consciences and it can say, All right, well, wait a minute, if our embodiment matters, male and female, when it comes to gender ideology, does it also matter when it comes to marriage? Does it also matter when it comes to reproduction and the child in the womb? So I, I, I do think like um, this is precisely because of how bad things have gotten. It's one side of hope. Uh, the other um, example I would give is uh, a covid I think COVID showed the emperor has no clothes when it comes to a lot of public education. Um, as more and more school districts shut down and went online, went remote, you know, not just for a month or two, but, you know, for entire academic years. And parents were able to see what exactly is going on. This is now a springtime for school choice, uh, for homeschooling, for co-ops, for classical schools, for private schools, for hybrid school. I mean, there are so many new things that have been created, you know, over the past 30 years of the school choice movement, but then in particular over the past three years of, you know, our overreaction to COVID. Th this also gives me um, uh, uh, some hope that more and more parents between, I would say, COVID, CRT, and gender ideology now realize that the emperor has no clothes in the context of public schools um, and, and more precisely government run schools, right? I, I don't think the government should get a monopoly on claiming public. So um, 
those are two areas where I think like this is a sign that a younger generation or at least their parents recognize that we can't keep doing what we've been doing. And I see it right where I live. I live in Loudoun County, Virginia, which is, you know, I, I don't know which one of us lives in the worst, um, uh, you know, jurisdiction when it comes to these issues. But the number of parents that have had their eyes opened um, in Loudoun County because of transgender ideology and because of uh, CRT and because of the COVID hysteria, it's really remarkable. And I think something good can come out of this. That's Dr. Ryan Anderson today with me on Sound Insight. Again, he is the director of the Ethics and Policy Institute uh, of uh, in Ethics and Policy Public Policy Center. Sorry, in Washington D.C., and he is coming out to speak at the uh, Path of Life Gala, which is happening on the 14th. That's next Thursday night. The event begins at 5:30 in the evening with hors d'oeuvres, followed by the program that starts at 6:30. Uh, Dr. Anderson will be speaking, and I, I hope that you're enjoying this interview already. And we're going to get back to that interview in just a minute. I do want to give a website out, though, if you want to register for the event. You do need tickets. And so if you go to pathoflifespokane.org, that's all one word, path, P-A-T-H, of lifespokane.org.org. You'll be able to get tickets for the Thursday, September 14th, Bringing Truth to Light annual ministry support event. You just go on the events tab. You can click on register now, and it'll give you the opportunity to buy a ticket or to get uh, tickets for a group of people. And um, and come on out. I'll be there. I, again, I have the wonderful blessing of being the MC for the event. And uh, you'll get to learn more about Path of Life and what they're doing to really impact um, today's culture in, in pressing, pressing matters in things that it's frankly just not easy to do. When you're providing counseling support for people who are struggling with unwanted same-sex attraction or people who are struggling with the idea of sexual identity and are being drawn into the transgender movement or for women who are uh, dealing with a crisis pregnancy or who made a decision to abort and now are seeking healing. Path of Life does all of those things, and you can find out more about them at pathoflifespokane.org. All right, we're up against a break. When we come back, more of the interview with Dr. Ryan Anderson. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com. DrTomCurran.com. So many things happening these days. This is the birthday of Mary. Don't forget to honor the Blessed Mother today uh, through your prayer and thanking Jesus for the gift of his mother. This Sunday is the time of Eucharistic exposition and procession in Spokane. So don't forget those things as well. 
Back now to my interview with Ryan. You know, Dr. Anderson, I think about the idea that what is true is also good and beautiful. And, and what I hear you saying is I think one of the paths back to the truth is by seeing the lack of flourishing when things are presented as good, uh, presented as true, and they're actually lies, they're deceptions, they're presented as beautiful, but they're actually ugly. And so when the calamity, the tragedy of what is false breaks out into brokenness, that is manifest, when it can, that can be brought out into the open, then that might be a, a way back to a reconsideration of, of what's true. Um, I, so I, I focus a lot on that, I think, when I say, look, this doesn't lead to human flourishing. This doesn't lead to what is an authentic good for human beings. You said five years ago in your book, when Harry became Sally, about the transgender movement, you said, the voices of detransitioners are being squelched. They're being attacked. They're being denied. They're being completely shunted. And, and you'd think five years later that this would have changed. And it feels like that there's just creeping little elements of it coming out. And yet you have things like comprehensive sexuality education being passed here in the state of Washington, which is just horrific. And so I just, just respond to that real quickly. You know, I mean, one is that I think you're entirely correct um, that, you, you know, um, people will say, um, and, there, and there's a beautiful book by the title, Beauty Will Save the World. And that's true. But sometimes for people to recognize beauty, they first have to see something that's really ugly and that's really bad and that's really false, right? So that the three transcendental, tr transcendentals, the, the true, the good, the beautiful, sometimes you actually recognize them best when they're in contrast um, to the ugly, the false, and the evil, right? And, and I think, unfortunately, that, that's the moment, that's the culture in which we're living in. Lots of falsehoods, uh, lots of ugliness, and lots of um, evil, uh, so, so that's that's one thought. Just to you know, affirm that I think you're exactly right. And then the, the um, uh, second thing is, uh, I think you're right that people like detransitioners are, continue to be silenced, but they are they're being platformed by more and more institutions. I mean, for a while, you know, I had hosted an event uh, back when I was at the Heritage Foundation with four progressive women, and the first thing they said was like, "I can't believe I'm about to say this, but thank you." you know, to this conservative group for giving to me what no progressive group would, and that's a platform. And now we do see, you know, some green shoots of more and more people willing to question this. Even the New York Times, five years ago, this was a um, not up for debate issue, right? Transgender rights are the human rights issue of our generation, the way Joe Biden refers to it. Now there are reporters and columnists at the New York Times saying, wait a minute, maybe we've gone too far too fast. Look at European countries that pioneered some of these transgender medical treatments, and they're now pushing the brake pedal and saying, wait, wait until age 18, like, don't do a one size fits all, you know, rush to transition, do mental health care. So, so I actually think that um, even though we're not in a good spot, we're in a better spot than we were five years ago. Yeah, and this will be my last question for the one respecting your time. I think about the the the, the tragic sadness of it is that there are human beings whose lives are just fundamentally damaged and damaged for life. And it takes that to bring this out into the open in the, in the transgender uh, movement, which is the, this ideology coming forward. Just a last word about how um, the, the issue of abortion and what's at stake in abortion, I think is in part a pushing through into the public awareness, what's really at stake in abortion isn't first and most of all the choice of a woman, but most of all women who feel like they have no choice but to destroy the life 
of the child in their womb when they would rather bring that child to birth. Yeah. I mean, so um, there's a lot there as well. Um, you know, there are women who, uh, so, you know, shout their abortions, right. And you can see the movement for that. And um, they're the minority of women. Um, many women feel constrained by economic pressures, by familial pressures, by boyfriends, by husbands, by bosses, by fathers, um, by other women in their lives, um, you know, th that, that this is, quote, their only choice. Um, and so uh, I think a long-term response to build a culture of life needs to not just uh, prohibit abortion, although we need to do that, it also needs to be a comprehensive response to the sexual revolution, right? Because like, why do women think no one actually needs an abortion, but why do some women think they need an abortion? It's partly because they've found themselves um, pregnant in a situation in which they don't feel equipped for that child's life. All right. And what is the institution that most protects mothers and children? It's marriage. And what was the revolution that directly attacked marriage? It was the sexual revolution. And when you look at the statistics, um, I forget, I, I, I used to have them right on the tip of my tongue, but the statistics, when you look at like women who are likely to get an abortion versus women who are unlikely, and you look based upon marital status, married women are very unlikely to have an abortion, unmarried women, very likely to have an abortion. And then you look at the statistics for children. If you were conceived inside of marriage, um, it's you know highly unlikely that you will be aborted, right? It makes sense given that married women are unlikely to abortion. If you were conceived outside of marriage, you're much more likely to be aborted. And, and so I think one of the long-term responses here is that we also are going to have to build up a marriage culture. And so all these things go together. I mean, if you think about you know what we're getting at, the abortion debate, the marriage debate, some of the gender ideology debates, it, and it all goes back to your very um, uh, first question about you know, how do we understand that Judeo-Christian natural law, faith and reason, um, human nature, human dignity, human identity discussion? And, and I think that's going to be um, that's going to be the work for my life and probably also for our children's lives. Like, I don't see this getting settled in the short term. This strikes me as an intergenerational um, project that we're engaged in. And it's very important that, you know, you and I and our listeners are engaged in this. I got to ask you one last question, please. It's the <laughs> okay. Benedict option. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But one yeah, last one. Okay. Please, yep. please. So Rod Dreher wrote this book, yep. The Benedict Option, right? Uh, do you see that as part of the, the solution in terms of forming, let's call them disciples, disciples forming yep, yep. those who are willing to have their hearts and minds and lives formed by being together in intentional relationships, they're committed to walk a path so that they can be salt, light, and leaven uh, in, in our nation. Even if it's just of, again, of recovering common sense and the natural law as, as a way of living life in, in, in eyes wide open to what is actually present in creation. Yeah. What, I mean, do you so think the, there's an insight there? Yes. I mean, the way that you just described what the Benedict option is gets two thumbs up from me. Um, I, I think part of the problem is that like the Benedict option before he published the book, it, it was a series of like, you know, there were some essays, some blog posts. And so it was, it was a moving target of like, because what you just described to me isn't distinctively the Benedict option. That's just Orthodox Christianity. Mm -hmm. And that's not optional. And that's not distinctive of Benedict or the Benedict option or Rod Dreher. I mean, that that is what conscientious Christians have been striving to do for 2000 years. 
and so like there, there's tension because like some people would describe the Benedict option. And, and I think earlier um, iterations of it in essays and blog posts, it looked much more like disengaging from the culture and disengaging from politics to kind of have a cultural retreat. And then Rod, I added to then re-engage, right? And, and so it's, it's um, uh, a lot is kind of um, built into like, how do you understand what the Benedict option is? And at what point along the progression do you kind of pin it down? But what you described, I'm fully on board with. I, I think, um, and I think Rod is fully, I think that is the final iteration of Benedict option. That, I mean, that's more or less what the book version says. Um, I, I think what's important for us, especially, you know, as, as someone who has young children is we cannot allow the culture to disciple our kids because we live in an anti-Christian culture. And so we have to simultaneously as adults be seeking to reform the culture, reforming law, reforming politics, while also discipling our own kids, forming our own kids in the truth. Um, and, and that does mean kind of protecting them for a while from some of the problems of, of the world, but not in a um, retreatist or isolationist. It's more like an inoculation, right? The purpose of a vaccine is so you don't have to quarantine forever so that you can eventually actually re- I, I think we have to think about how do we inoculate our kids from the toxic culture in which we live precisely so they can then be equipped to do what you and I are doing, reforming the culture, reforming law, reforming politics. Yeah, I think of it as basic training, right? It's like you yes. don't put the kids yeah. on the front lines of the battle until they've gone through basic training. And yeah. I think that that's what I think of is that our homes and our wider communities have to be a place of basic foundational training. And then they yeah. can go, then they can actually be salt, light, and leaven, and they won't be swamped and, and the tsunami wiped away by the culture. So, well, Dr. Anderson, thank you. You've given me more time than, than I asked for, and I really do appreciate <laughs> okay. that. And I'm yeah. looking forward to being able to be with you uh, next week. So thanks yep. so much for taking time today. Yeah, thank you. That was Dr. Ryan Anderson, again, from the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C. And one last time, he is coming out to Spokane. You, If you enjoyed that conversation, boy, you'd love to meet him in person, this wonderful Catholic philosopher who is attempting to what, restore and, and provide a foundation for culture. I, boy, I loved his answers. And, and, and I didn't mind that he affirmed my understanding of the Benedict Option. That's not a bad thing at all. So uh, once again, pathoflifespokane.org if you're interested in purchasing tickets for the gala coming up on September the 14th. That's next Thursday evening at 5.30 at Memorial Church in Spokane. More information at Path of Life Spokane. One last time, this is Friday. Coming up on Sunday, head to the Cathedral of Our Lady of Lords for the Eucharistic procession beginning at 1 o'clock processing through the city of Spokane, ending up at the podium for a time of adoration and listening to Dr. Mary Healy and Bishop Daly. What a beautiful witness to our faith, salt, light, and leaven in the world. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Join me on Monday for more Sound Insight.